Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com slash podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Today's the last day, and it is sin to be a cowboy fan, but the last, uh, <laughs> just kidding, uh, sometimes you shouldn't say what's in your head. We are uh, finishing our series today, and we're going to look at the deadliest of all toxins, and that is sin. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the person to your left, and I want you to say to them, good morning, sinner. Now now I want you to look to the right, and I want you to say, good morning, you big nasty sinner. Yeah. Now what I want you to do is I want you to pick out who's the biggest, nastiest sinner in the joint. (laughs) Hey, you know, we don't... (laughs) Good job. We don't like to talk about sin, do we, anymore in the church? It seems like that we've kind of um, hidden that from, uh, from the, kind of from the view. But honestly, I'd rather give you seven steps to a healthy, happy life and, and uh, then get out of here and watch a little football than I would to talk to you about sin. But you know, the reality, if, if Gay and I don't talk to you and, and talk uh, about sin, the reality of our sin nature and the destructive power of sin in our life and the eternal consequences of sin, then we're, gonna, we're doing you a terrible disservice. Here's the really scary thing, though, that I believe is happening today. And, and I think many of you would agree with me. It's becoming more difficult, I think, in our world today to tell the difference between people that are believers and people that are not believers based on the way we live our life based on the, what's happening on the outside of our lives. You see, all, all we have to do is look at the actions of me as a believer, as us as believers, and, and the lifestyle of people who call themselves Christians compared to those who do not call themselves Christians. And we ask ourselves, really, is there much difference? Uh, you see, so, so what's the problem? with that? What, what's happening there? And I, and I just think about that. Could it be that we, that we as Christians, we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to leave our life of sin? You know, we want the perks, but we don't want to give up our life of sin. We want the kind of like the best of both worlds. I want Jesus, but I still want to live my life the way I want to live my life, and I want to do what uh, I want to do with my life. And and we want the best of, the, of both worlds. You know, we want to go to heaven. I mean, probably uh, most people in here today would say, I, I, I want to go to heaven. And if we're Christians, we want to go to heaven, but we don't want to obey anything that de- Jesus teaches in his Bible, teaches in the Bible. And we certainly don't want to change the way we live. You see, we, we, want, to, we, we, uh, we want to be close to God And we want God to speak to us, and we want Him to answer our prayers. But we don't want want any repentance in our lives. You see, we want to add Christ to our lives without subtracting sin. How many of you like to come to church and hear the real truth? How many say, yep, I I don't want no watered-down message? Well, this was not watered-down, okay? I meant to say that early on. This is going to be, you know, I'm going to do it. Gay said last night it looked like I was so intense I was about ready to blow up. So I'm trying to settle down, okay? Uh, Anyway, so we're going to talk about sin. Sin is like a a boomerang. Uh, And you know, uh, 
If you know what a boomerang is, when you throw a boomerang correctly, and I guess I've never thrown it correctly because I've never had it come back to me. You know, you throw a boomerang correctly, the plane of its rotation, they say, causes it to travel in an arc right back to the thrower. Kind of like this video. Probably every man in here flinches, but you know, sin is that way. Sin is the same way. You can throw it, you can throw it long, you can throw it far, you can throw it high, and you can throw it hard, and it, it might even go out of sight. You might, be able, you might not be able to see it, but it will always come back to you. Sin will always come back to you, and it'll hurt. You know, the Bible says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, that you can be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure that your sin. My mom used to say that, and I just thought, I didn't know the Bible said it. My mom said that. You can be sure, buddy, your sins are going to find you out. And sure enough, my sins always found me out. Parents, if you want to pray for your children, just pray their sins will find them out. <laughs> and mine found me out plenty of times. But we can be... It, we can be sure that our sins will find us out. It will come back to us. You cannot, uh, uh, you cannot sin and get away with it. Sin will hunt, uh, hunt you, hound you, and haunt you until it finds you unless we deal with it. On Twitter, I get, uh, I get this little feed that's called Fun Facts, and it's all kinds of fun facts that I read. Some of them I don't particularly care for, but some of them are good, and, and, and they're fun and sin can be fun. I mean, we admit it, to live a life of sin, sin it can be fun. But it's only fun for a season because it will find you out. It will come back to you and it will hurt you. So today I want to share with you four not-so-fun facts about sin. Four not-so-fun facts about sin. And I want to look at the book of Romans when we talk about sin. First of all, we're all sinners. Every one of us, all have sinned, the Bible says, and all of us fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned, and every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners, okay? Welcome to church today, sinners. We are all sinners. You see, we are all born with a sin nature. In other words, we're all born with a, a bent towards sin. We're separated from God, and we have this bent toward sinfulness. We are, by nature, sinful people. And the Bible says, in fact, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, the Bible says that there's no one that does good, not even one. We are sinful human beings, and we have to recognize that, and we have to acknowledge that. If, if we don't acknowledge that we're sinners, if we don't acknowledge that, we, uh, uh, our spiritual lives are in grave, grave danger from this deadly toxin. Let me illustrate. There was a guy one day who was out in the desert, kind of wandering around and going from place to place, over the hill, from this hill to that hill, and he was dying of thirst. And all he needed was an ice-cold glass of water. He just wanted water. And so he went on a search, and he was searching everywhere. And he comes over a hill, and, and as he comes over the hill, he heard out in the distance, he heard someone screaming, free neckties, free neckties. 
And, and, and the thirsty guy got to him and he asked him, why would I ever want a necktie in a desert when I'm dying of thirst? So just get out of my way, the thirsty guy said. And so the thirsty guy just kept searching and searching. And suddenly out in the horizon, he sees the most beautiful, fine dining restaurant he had ever seen in his life. And so he goes up to the door and he asks the fancy waiter guy at the door. He says, he says, sir, can I just come in? All I need is an ice cold glass of water. And the waiter guy said to him, I'm sorry, you can't come in here unless you have a necktie on. You see, we don't see our need for, you, if you don't see your need for a necktie, you're not going to want a necktie in your life. And so what I'm trying to say, unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will not see our need for a Savior. If we don't recognize and acknowledge that we're sinners, we'll never acknowledge and recognize that we need a Savior. You see, if we don't recognize that we're separated from God by our sinfulness, we will not see our need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact is, folks, we're all nasty sinners and we all need a Savior. Now, the second fact about sin is that sin will do something to me. The Bible says, don't you realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You could be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can, be, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now, when Paul, uh, uh, this first, uh, first of all, I'll say, points out two things that sin does to us. First of all, sin makes me a slave. Sin makes me a slave. Now, when Paul uses the word slave, he means slave. He doesn't mean the word servant. Now, if you're somebody's servant, most likely you can change who you are servant for and become a servant uh, for someone else. Now, slaves are owned. Slaves are owned, and you and I are created to be owned. And what Paul is saying, we're either going to be slaves to sin, or we're going to be slaves of righteousness. We're going to be one or the other. Now, Bob Dylan was right when he sang the song, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And you know what? We all are slaves, and we're all serving somebody today. Now you might say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I don't want to serve sin and I don't want to serve God. I don't want to be a slave to God. I just want to serve myself. Well, that's cool if that's what you've decided. But really there is no third choice in the Bible. There's no third choice. You either serve, you're either slave to sin or you're slave to righteousness. In the Bible, spiritually speaking, there is no third choice. So if you, if you say you're going to serve yourself, then you just choose to be a servant of self. You see, the essence of sin that we've talked about in this whole series, the essence of sin is me, I, myself. At the center of sin is I. So what does a slave to sin look like? Well, those of you who may be here and you struggle with a cocaine addiction or an alcohol addiction, or a sexual addiction, or a prescription drug addiction, or any addiction of any kind, you understand this phrase uh, very well because you know that ultimately, if you're addicted, you're not really in charge of your life. You're a slave to some drug or 
or, or something in your life when you're addicted to it. You are, a, you are a slave to it. Now, you can say, you can swear off, this is my last, this is my last hit. This is my last drink. And you can say, this is the last time. I mean, I, I threw away $500 worth of cigarettes out the window saying, I'm finished. I'm done with this. Until I wanted one and stopped at the next store. You, you see, you, see you, you, can, uh, you can say that it's the last time. You can ease your conscience and say, I will never, ever do this again. But will it happen again? Most likely, yes. It's because slaves don't tell their masters what to do. You see, a slave doesn't wake up in the morning and say to the master, Master, today I think we're going to do this. No, the slave wakes up and he says to his master who is in sin, What do you want me to do today? And how can I get by and how can I manage the consequences of what I know is happening? I got a really, really good friend. And, and uh, he's addicted, terribly addicted to prescription drugs. He called me just recently in the middle of the night, called me and said, buddy, I am in trouble. And he's crying and he says, will you come down to Starbucks and meet me? And I said, yeah, I'll come down to Starbucks and meet you. And I went there and he's in terrible shape. He's crying. He's saying, you know, I've got myself in a terrible mess. And this is the last night that I'm ever going to take another pill in my life. He said, I've got it so bad, I'm even crushing them up and snorting them. He said, but this is it. I'm done. I'm swearing off of it. He said, would you pray for me? I prayed for him, but I haven't seen him since. And the word on the street is he's worse now than he was then. You see, he's a slave. And that's what the slave says is the slave says, how can I get by with this? How can, I, how can I manage the consequences in my life? And, you know, sin is always a bad idea. I don't know, but most of you are probably saying, thank God, thank God I'm not into any of those sins. But what about pride? Or what about apathy or coveting or, or pleasing others or anger or selfishness or jealousy or envy? You know, they too can become powerful, more powerful until you become as miserable to live with as your wife or your husband says you are. So the second thing that sin does to me, it not only, it not only makes me a slave, it leads me to death. It leads me to death. You see, there is, there is really no safe sin. And, and, and you and I uh, think that we can manage the consequences of sin. But I'm going to tell you, sin's ultimate goal in my life and in your life is your death. It's your death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. In other words, we're going to get our paycheck for sin, and it's death. It's not, it's not just a physical death, which all of us will experience, but I'm talking about a spiritual death and a death and a moral death. And for some of you who may not know the Lord, it's an eternal death in hell. Now, hell is something else we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about hell. But hell's a reality. The Bible talks about hell. Remember, hell is a very real place that you don't want to go to. And, 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 I, and I'm sure you don't want anybody else to go there either. That's why it'd be a good reason to invite them next weekend. Next weekend, I, gotta, I have a sense if we would all pull together and really, really take serious what God wants to do here, it could be the greatest day in the history of our church, greatest weekend in the history of our church. 
because I believe many, many people are going to come to know Jesus. And we're going to make, our goal at Salem Fields is to make hell, hell smaller and heaven bigger. And I think that's going to happen next week. But hell's a really, really place. It's more horrible than you and I can even imagine. But Scripture's clear. If we don't acknowledge Jesus as Savior and confess our sins, it will lead us to a place called hell. Sorry to say, but it's the truth. It is the wages of sin. Our paycheck is hell. Now, the third fact is sin is false advertising. You do this, sin says, if you do this, you'll be happy. Ah, uh, uh, sin says, what's a little look going to hurt? Ah, uh, it's okay because we love each other. Think of what it would feel like if we could just feel like, it just seemed like what it would be like if we could get into all these other little sins. Oh, yeah, baby, this feels good. That's what sin says to us. Oh, this feels so good. How could it be so wrong? Here's the deal with sin. In the end, it leads to death. And even those pleasures that are sinful, the Bible says the one who thinks only of pleasures is already dead. Yeah. Y'all want the truth, right? And, and, and that's why some people get addicted to drugs and some people get addicted to alcohol. Some people get addicted to food and sex and shopping because we want to deaden the pain. We want to fill that empty place in our life. Sin takes us further than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it costs us more than we ever want to pay. You know, I think the most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. I don't, I don't think non-Christians are miserable as, as Christians. And I'm talking about Christians that are living in sin. I think people, Christians that are living in sin are the most miserable people. The most miserable people are not those who are not believers. I mean, they have to go lucky. But the most miserable people are, are people that are followers of Christ, and they've stepped back in. They've, they've, they've went back to this old way of life and to the destructive power of sin, and they're miserable, and they know it, and they're hurting because everybody else thinks they're doing okay, but on the inside, they're dying in sin. Sin is false advertising. The final, final fact is that sin is progressive in nature. It's progressive in nature. It may seem small. It's just a little thing. My goodness, just a little white lie. It's so insignificant. It's, it's no big deal. It's so insignificant. It's so insignificant. One moment, and then it grows. And it grows. And it grows. And it kills us. And it kills. And it kills. And it kills us. And it fulfills the mission of the evil one who the Bible says came to steal and kill and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. And when we are living, Christians living in sin, one day it's going to kill our love and our desire to lead or to serve and follow God in our lives. Because the devil is like a roaring lion. He has come to seek and destroy and to kill believers. And it's progressive. I'll explain it this way. My windshield is susceptible to cracks from tractor and trailers. I think that my window is a magnet, and the rocks fly off every tractor trailer in 95 hits my windshield. 
and you, it starts with just this little ding in my windshield. You know what I'm saying? Little, just ding. You hear it, you go, oh, no, and you're looking for it. And you take your finger to make sure it's not on the inside. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, I said, that's on the inside, because I don't ever wash my windshield on the inside. I wash on the outside. Uh, anyway, but it starts out, my dad, he's a mechanic, and he does car inspections. He said, oh, don't worry about it as long as a quarter will cover it. I say, okay, put a quarter, it worked good. Well, before you know it, it's the size of a 50-cent piece, and it's got little ying ying yings going off of it. And then a couple weeks later, it's got some more of these little cracks going off. And before long, the whole windshield is destroyed. I mean, you can't even see out of it. You're going like this. You ever had one of those windshields? It's worse than when you don't clean your windshield off and you try to drive with frost on it. But it destroys that windshield. And it started so small, and it was so insignificant. And before you know it, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And before you know it, it has destroyed us spiritually. Because sin is progressive. So, so what do people say most? What's the most famous thing that people are not in the church say about people in the church or say about Christians today? Does anybody know what that is? We're hypocrites. You know, people say that we are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They say we say one thing and do another. Now, folks, I, I get that, but my, my fear is that we want Jesus, is that, is that we want Jesus and we say we love him, but we still want to sin. Can, can, I, can I just say to you and to me, myself, it, when, when and if there is no noticeable difference from my life, if I am, my life is no noticeable difference from uh, the outside of my life, at some point, I have to question the reality of his presence on the inside of my life. If I'm just like everybody else, if my life reflects the same fruit that everyone else's life in the world fruit uh, reflects, then I must have to ask myself, is the reality, am I really, does Jesus Christ really live and reside in my heart? If you can't tell the difference between me and somebody that doesn't know Jesus in our world today. Then I've got to ask myself, does Jesus really live in my life? Or do I just want the benefits of it? You see, when is the last time, when is the last time that your heart was broken because you sinned against God? I mean, your heart was broken. And you may even wept. And you just couldn't hardly even face yourself in the mirror. Because, man, you are heartbroken because you broke the heart of God. You sinned against God. And I can remember, I, I, not too distant few, past. You see, sin is not a joke. It's not a joke. And for those of you who say, I can knowingly sin, I know people who have said to me, write to me, they have said to me, you know what, I'll go do what I want to do. I'll just go out tonight and I'll do what I want to do because in the morning, I can just ask God to forgive me. No big deal. I can just do that. I'm going to sin and I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And I can say to you that you're only asking for trouble in your life. Look what Paul said in Romans. He said, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. See, 
Theologians call that presuming on God's grace, that I'm just taking God's grace for granted. He's saying, Paul's saying, well, then should I keep on sinning? Paul's saying, you know, I want to do good. I can't do good. I want to do good. And oh, thank God for the grace of God. And then he says, should I keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, Paul says. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in sin? Now, folks, we have to address the sin in our lives as believers and as non-believers. We must deal with this issue of sin. Now, so, okay, buddy, then I want to deal with it. What should I do? Well, here's what you do. First of all, if you've not already done this, you need to receive the free gift of God. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, is receiving that gift. When Christ died on the cross, he offered to each and every one of us, all of us sinners, he offered us a free gift. And that free gift was Christ. He offered us forgiveness of our sins. He offered us eternal life. Now, you make a decision to come to Christ with your sin, with your brokenness, with your mess. You come to Jesus for eternal life. And it's a free gift to those who believe. Okay? That's the first thing. Now, if you are a believer and you've said, I'm, I'm a believer, I've received the free gift of eternal life and a free gift of Jesus. Next, if that's you, but there is sin in your life. Now, sin in your life is knowing knowing. The, the, is violating the known law of God. You know that it's wrong. And you're going to go ahead and you go ahead and do it anyway. The Bible calls that cherished sin. And they, the Psalms, David says, if we have cherished sin in our heart, then God won't hear our prayers. That we have cherished sin. Now, if you know that, then the Bible teaches us that we need to repent. We need to repent if the believers. In Revelations, Jesus was talking to the church of Laodicea, a church much like a lot of churches today. You see, they, they looked very religious. When I talk about church, I don't talk about building. They looked very religious. They had all these material things, but the Bible said they were lukewarm. We talked about lukewarm. And Jesus makes Jesus sick. But he also said to that same church, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. In other words, get on the ball and do it now and repent and do it sincerely. Repent then means to go back. Repent means to make a decision that I'm going to, I'm going to turn away from my life of sin and my, and this cherished sin that I'm holding in my life. I'm going to turn away from this life of sin and I'm going to head right back to God. And I'm going to go the opposite direction. I was going in this direction with sin, and I'm going to turn around. Repent means I'm turning around, and now I'm going in a whole new direction, and I'm going with the ways of God. In other words, I'm going to follow God's ways, and I'm going to repent and turn around and return to God by repenting of my sins and then being right with God. We return to the ways of God, and we return to the ways of God by repenting our sins. We will be right with God, and when we are right with God, there is a freedom in our hearts that is hard to explain. When we know that we know that we just know that all is well with my soul, there's a peace that passes all understanding when we return to God. And then after you've repented and you're no longer a slave to sin, you make a decision to be no longer be a slave to sin, then don't give in to sin. 
Romans 6.12 says, therefore, do not, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking. I know. You're thinking, buddy, that is absolutely impossible. Then why did God put that in the Word of God? If he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. If it's not possible, then why is it in the Bible? That would be an unjust God to tell us not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, and yet we say we can't do nothing about it. I, I don't know about that. I don't know how. I just believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, that if God commands something out of our lives, that he will give us the grace and the strength to do exactly what he wants us to do. If not, he's not a just God. And he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It's a toxic killer. It destroys lives. It destroys our lives and the people we love. And he gives us the strength and the grace to do it no matter how difficult it is. And see, then we are no longer, we are, that scripture saying, we are under no obligation to be a slave to sin. We don't have to give in to sin. At least that's what Paul said in Romans 6.22. He says, but now that you have been freed from sin, you have repented, you have received the eternal gift of God, the free gift of God, and that is eternal life. You, and if you're a believer, you have repented, and you decide to turn back to God and go God's way, then he's saying, don't give in to sin because you now are no longer obligated to be a slave to sin. He has set us free from the master. We do not have to give in to sin. At least he said that in this scripture in Romans 6.22. But now that you've been freed for sin, from sin and now enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. Now, Paul uses a big word here called sanctification. Now, for every Christian that's listening today, this is really, really, really good news. You see, the word sanctification means that God sets us apart to make us holy, to be made, that God makes us, remakes us in the likeness of Jesus. He makes us in the likeness of Jesus. You see, God's big agenda for our lives is not that we will uh, just go do little jobs for him, but God's big agenda for our lives is that our hearts and lives, that we would become like Jesus, that we would become like Jesus. That's his big agenda for our lives. And sanctification happens the moment that we realize that we are enslaved to sin and we have decided to repent and we have decided that we are going to surrender to God in a crisis moment, in a moment when I realize a crisis hits my life, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble because I cannot manage this life on my own. And I come to that point in my decision with Christ that I am going to surrender to God. A decision that we make in a moment, but it takes a lifetime for God to complete in us. It takes a lifetime for God to complete in us. There's a story that maybe will help me here. D.L. Moody told about the President of the United States. On one occasion, he said to the leader of the prison commissions, he said, I want to hand out five pardons to a prison 
and I want the warden to award these pardons to the inmates who have the best conduct for six months. Now, this is, this is uh, something I just put, woke up this morning with this on my mind, this illustration. And, and so I, I'm telling the very best I can here. But, but he said, I want to hand out five pardons to the warden, to, for the warden to award to these pardons to the inmates who have the best conduct for six months. But I don't want you to tell the inmates. I don't, want, I don't want them just to behave because they want to get a pardon. I just want them to be observed by the leadership of the prison, and then I want you to choose whom you want to give the pardons to. So the day came to hand out the pardons, and all the prisoners gathered. They came, all the prisoners from that prison gathered in a big room, and the commissioner of the prison stood up and he said, Today I have in my hand five pardons. And whoever gets these pardons can right now can leave the prison today and be free. You can take off your prison clothes and you can and you can be out of here. And the rest of you, unfortunately, will have to stay. And he opens the sheet of paper and he begins to read and he says, Reuben Johnson. And there's a long silence. Reuben Johnson. And the chaplain in the room, he sees Reuben sitting in the front row, and he says, hey, Reuben, he's talking to you. He's talking about you. And Reuben kind of looks at himself, and he looks to his right, looks to his left, looks over his shoulder, and, and he, Reuben is wondering, is there another Reuben Johnson in the room? And finally, Reuben has the nerve to stand up and go up to the front and take his pardon. And he sits down. And he holds his head in his hands, and he begins to weep. And the other four pardons were handed out. And the warden stood up, and he said, okay, men, it's time to go back to your cells. Go back to the prison cells. And guess what Reuben did? He stood up, and he began to walk back to the cell, to his prison cell. And the chaplain said, hey, Reuben. You don't belong in that line. Reuben, you don't belong in that line. And I am saying to you and I today, on the authority of God's word, that you and I do not belong in that line. We have been set free by the power of the, we have been set free from the power of sin by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. He has handed us our pardon. We have been set free. And folks, we don't have to stand in that line to go back to that prison cell once we have repented of our sins and we have forsaken and surrendered to the will of God in our lives. We have been set free. And that is good news. That sin has been broken on the cross. And you can say no. You can say no to sin. You are free by the grace of God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to righteousness. We are now slaves of God. You and I are now finally free to be what God created us to be. The freedom to live with a clear conscience. The freedom to be able to say amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I am found. Can it get any better than that? Can it get any better than that? I don't think so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace and power of your death and resurrection. 
We thank you today, Lord, that the sin in our life has been broken, the debt has been canceled, and God, we are pardoned. And we're not going to get back in that line. We're not going to get back in that line. We're not going to give in to those little insignificant sins, and we're not going to take for granted your grace, Lord. Father, today, we are going to defeat the enemy by the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we're going to take back the ground and the territory that the enemy has stolen from us and kept us prisoners, Lord. We are free. And we thank you today that we are free. If today you're here and you've never received the free gift of Jesus Christ in your lives, I encourage you today to just open your heart to receive that free gift. You know, it's a free gift. All you got to do is receive it and open it up and receive Jesus into your life. And you can do that right there. And if you've never done that, today I offer on the authority of the Word of God the free gift of Jesus. And if you're a believer today and you've kind of bought into the fact that you know what, I, I can just sin, do whatever I want. and or, or you just, you know what, you know that you just know that, you just know that you have this cherished sin in your life. You, you know that, you know, you know what I mean? You know. And, or maybe you just, you know, you want the best of both worlds, you want to go to heaven, but yet you don't want, change your life or you just want to add Christ but not subtract sin would you just repent today would you just say to God God today today I'm not going to get back in that line I'm going to walk the other way I'm going to go in a whole new direction I'm going back I'm going to repent I'm going to earnestly repent And maybe you've come to that point where you just suddenly realize, maybe today, the Holy Spirit has said, you cannot do this on your own strength. You need the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. And you need to surrender to that, to surrender to Him completely. To receive the power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that we can live with in our life when we allow Christ to be Lord. So can we stand as we sing and worship together and we're going to leave and we're going to go here soon. But you know what I always like for you to know that if you want to come up front and pray and surrender and repent or pray about anything, this front is always open for you to do that. But I, I just encourage you today, if you haven't received Christ, to open your heart to Him. And if you're a Christian and you're, you know that you know that you just, you know, you just say, God, forgive me. And make a decision to God. I'm not going back in that line again. I'm repenting. Okay, however God leads you. Gail closes as soon as the song's finished. God bless you. If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. 
For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.